This is the Lifestyle as Medicine podcast, and I am Mike Riccio, longtime personal trainer, professional strength coach, gym owner, and most importantly, a devoted modern father and husband. I've been fortunate to learn under some of the most intelligent minds in health and fitness over the past 15 years, as well as work with amazing clients and athletes. What I've most fallen in love with over the years is the power we have over our lives, the power to decrease risk of disease and injury, the power to reach our true potential, the deep abilities the body is capable of when all aspects of health are working simultaneously. On this podcast, you will learn the importance of preventative health and how to optimize your habits to optimize your life. All right, listeners, we are on with Colleen Werner. Colleen is the owner and founder of Lulafit, a corporate wellness company in the city of Chicago, one that I was blessed to consult and work with for a short time. This episode has a little bit of everything in it. Colleen is a former athlete who dealt with a string of injuries and the transitions that must follow when that kind of thing happens. She's an entrepreneur, obviously starting her own company that is now very successful and has continued to be successful through a pandemic. Colleen is also a mom. In the past year, she's given birth to her first child and is learning on the fly how to balance being an owner, a CEO, and a mom. And may I say, just doing an amazing and impressive job as always. And you know what? One more. Colleen is just possibly one of the greatest leaders I've ever got a chance to work with. Being on the inside and seeing how she manages her team, how she inspires, how she keeps just this positive atmosphere where everyone feels like they have a voice and everyone has a say in what happens because they truly do, because she truly does value everyone that she has around her, me included when I was there. Colin is just a a fantastic person, boss, leader, mom, just, just incredible and impressive overall. And like I said, this episode has a little bit for everybody. So listen in, let me know what you think. And as always, enjoy. All right, listeners, we are on with Colleen Werner. Colleen, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for having me, Mike. Can we do a a quick background on you and and what you do and how you got here before we start? Yeah, so I'm Colleen Werner. I am the founder and CEO of LulaFit. We are a corporate wellness company um, and we have a couple different, uh, you know, modalities in which we help people in uh, in their office and now in their home office and everyone in between, you know, whether you're working in a, a van in Sedona or you're working in your, in your bedroom or in your, uh, in your office. So we have an onsite experience where we actually go into physical office buildings and build out and staff and program and run amenity spaces. So, you know, the, the physical spaces within the office building that all of us really go to use and enjoy and connect with other people. And then we have a digital platform. We have an app that kind of brings all of those experiences that you would get in your office and uh, connects you with them at home. And so that's a little bit of a newer endeavor for us just the last few years. Um, it definitely saved us a lot during COVID. Um, and that's kind of where we're, we're growing a lot today. Um, and then my background is a little bit unique. As you know, I was, I didn't go to Harvard and get an MBA and start a business. I, I, uh, I went to uh, a little bit non-traditional path. I was a professional ballet dancer for most of my life before I started my company. And then those, those two activities overlapped for a couple of really brutal years where I was doing both things <laughs> at the same time. And then I retired from dancing professionally in 2016 and went full steam into my business and haven't stopped since. <laughs> yeah. And now you're a mom. 
And now I'm a mom. Yeah. The, <laughs> the, the biggest role. Job. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Exactly. The best promotion I've ever gotten. Yes. Yes, it, it sure is. And we're going to get a lot into that. I also did not go to Harvard. We share that as well. If we're going to share <laughs> things today that we have. <laughs> we are both business owners that did not go through professional MBAs. But if we can start with you as an athlete, you know, I, yeah. one, I just, I know we talked a lot about the, the, the physical stress that comes with what you did as an athlete. I'm also curious to what your perspective was on your health and maybe your process when it came towards preparation, you know, before becoming this, this health professional that you became, how, how were things originally when you were an athlete? Yeah, well, I think there's a couple of different components. And I think the first one is, like you said, it's the physical and, you know, being a professional dancer, which I consider being an athlete, it's an interesting like intersection of athlete and artist, um, which is what made it really fun for me, but it's still a gruesomely physical job. And that was probably one of the toughest things for me. I was really my entire career. And even, you know, before I, I started dancing professionally, even my, my training days, I was really plagued by injuries in bad injuries. I, I ruptured my plantar fascia. I completely blew up my knee and had to have it, you know, repaired. I had, you know, t- lots of back injuries. So, you know, dislocated my shoulder multiple times. It was just like really brutal uh, for me experience physically. Um, and I think for a lot of athletes, it is the interesting thing about ballet is <laughs> your entire persona is to be acting like everything is amazing and easy and graceful and beautiful. And meanwhile, you're just really suffering. And I guess I didn't realize how much of a mental toll it was taking on me until I got a bit older and into my, into my twenties out of college and realized that I was also really suffering mentally because I was pretending like everything was fine and it was normal. And I was being told by so many people in my life that kind of pain was the path to get where I wanted to go. And that if I wasn't feeling pain, I wasn't trying hard enough. I wasn't going to be successful. And so I think I pushed past a lot of my physical boundaries, which later caught up with me in a more emotional and mental way to kind of realize like, wow, I I kind of created some really lifelong detrimental injuries to myself. I have permanent nerve damage in my foot. I, I, you know, was told I really would never be able to dance again and, and really never be able to walk in bare feet again, which is pretty accurate. <laughs> I don't walk in bare feet at all. Um, it's very painful. So, you know, having to look back and realize like you kind of did that to yourself, right? Like they, I didn't stop, um, push past that was kind of hard to, to grasp. Sure. Um, I, I, you would think take- you were a football player or a hockey player with that list. And you know, if you just saw that list of injuries, someone would assume that you were in this high contact sport. And I, maybe, I don't think people realize just how physical demanding the sport is because it is a sport without a, without a question. Yeah. It is absolutely yeah. a sport, but maybe one of the toughest sports, you know, when you think about having to hide, I can be a football player and show my pain, you know, yeah. and still play yeah. the game. You have to really become an actor, an actress yeah. in the moment yeah. as well. Impressive. Yeah. And that's where that weird, like artist and athlete kind of come into play. And, um, yeah, you know, I think it was one of the most rewarding things that I've ever experienced and also one of the hardest but I really am, I'm a big believer and kind of, you know, you know, everything happens for a reason and kind of pushes you to where you want to go. And so many of the things I learned, you know, about resilience and about myself. And I think we'll, we'll talk about this later of how I, you know, I took this into my entrepreneurial career, but like pushing past the point of no return is not success. And that was something that is still hard for me 
to relearn, right? Like I'm still that person that wants to push so far off the deep end to burnout, right? And I have to remind myself, like, this is not the way to get to where I want to go. The way to get to where I want to go is to hold myself back sometimes and say, you need a break. (laughs) We got to take it down a notch. Like this is not healthy. And so kind of relearning to have a healthy relationship with like the way I work. Obviously you don't become a ballet dancer because you want to, you know, slack off. It's a really brutal environment and a really competitive environment. And so you have to work incredibly hard. And I think that to me resulted in overwork a lot. Um, And so now, you know, running a company, it's like making sure I don't repeat that, but also people around me don't repeat that. And obviously it ties in a lot to what we do as well. So it's very personal for me. Well, I I love that perspective because when people look at business owners or athletes, I think often the perspective is you, you have to just, you have to keep pushing, keep pushing, keep pushing, keep pushing to be successful. And I, as a newer entrepreneur still, you know, I, I, that's something, a lesson I had to learn very quickly, especially when I had kids, which we'll get into also was just how fast that is of a failure perspective before a success perspective. Not that we don't work hard. There is, there is a, a very high element of hard work, of right. course, but it's understanding your limits, right? It's, it's self-awareness that comes in to play with that. Well, you have to push and push and push, but you also have to know when to stop. Right. And that is, I think, the difference between success and failure is that moment of knowing when you've pushed too far or not really letting yourself push too far so that you can you know, kind of gas up again and and keep going. And I always try to remind myself it's a marathon, not a sprint. And I think some of those early entrepreneurial days, you just feel like it's a sprint, right? Because you you can't really see the the ends, right? You can't quite see like where you're going yet. So I do find that most entrepreneurs and myself included sprinted really hard at the beginning. Now I'm seven years in, right? I'm realizing, okay, this is a marathon. I need to pace myself. I need to make sure that I'm being intelligent about the way I work, who I work with, right? I think, you know, working with people who give you energy and who help you, you know, find moments to pause and and find your creativity. Those are all really important aspects of it. Uh, You learn quick, right? That it's not, there really is no end point. They're just the next beginning point. Yes. You know, I, I, I think, you know, once starting the business was great, but I think after I walked in the first day, I was like, oh shoot, now, now I got to run this thing. Now you got to make it successful. Now you got to like, really, it was, it was a very high beginning point and not a success point, really starting. It was not, not the hardest thing. It was yeah. a hard thing. <laughs> it was a very yeah. challenging thing. As you know, <laughs> you and I talked many times over the years about me trying to get this done. I always say though, like one of the greatest gifts you can give an entrepreneur at times is ignorance. Because yeah. I sometimes think if you know what's coming, you're not going to do it. So no. there is like a really special moment where you're like, that must be the hardest thing, just starting it. And it's like, yes, just that is definitely one of the hard parts. There's so many more coming, but you don't need to know those yet. Like, no, you'll, you'll conquer them when you get there. No, you're right. It's better you don't. You are much yes. better, better you don't. Yeah. And I'm sure there's many more that I'm still not aware of yet. And that's probably a, a good thing for me. And that's okay. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> So at some point you, you realize that, you know, like all athletes, eventually we have to, we have to hang up whatever type of shoes that we wear, you know? So where did it first begin? Well, what, where did the thought begin that you wanted to become an entrepreneur that you wanted to start your own business and what is now a very, very successful business? Yeah. I'm not sure that there was this like very conscious decision that I wanted to do this. Honestly, it was really hard for me to get to the point where I, you know, 
wanted to hang. I would never say I got to the point where I wanted to hang out no. my shoes, right? It was, um, I realized really early on, like even before I went to college that I was probably not, I had had this really bad foot injury, which was like kind of a start of the beginning of the end of my um, career because it just resulted in so many other injuries. And I think I realized in that moment when deciding to go to college, because that was not something that most ballet dancers did specifically in, you know, the two thousands as well. Right. Right. When I, when I was leaving the high school and going on, many of my peers were just going right to professional dance contracts. And I had, you know, to make the decision that I was going to go to college. And that to me was the, the moment where I acknowledged that this was not a forever career, right. That I was already halfway through it and I was only 18 years old. And so kind of acknowledging that. And I remember a conversation with my dad about it actually. um, And him kind of putting into perspective, you know, if you don't plan for this, you know, you're not going to have a lot of options. And so, um, I was really fortunate that, you know, I kind of got that wake up call. I went to college. I was able to dance through college. I was able to dance after college, but I was really well prepared. I would say not in terms of skill set. Okay. I, I, I studied movement science, kinesiology and dance, but I had a network from Michigan. Uh, I went to university of Michigan. Many of my friends, went to Harvard afterwards for their MBAs, but they went to Ross School Business as undergrad, um, my husband included, I met him there. And so I think I was able to like network and, and surround myself with other like-minded entrepreneurs. I didn't recognize myself as an entre- entrepreneur though at that point. That was not even a word in my self-described vocabulary. I was right. a dancer, I was an artist, I was an athlete. So making that transition was very interesting. And I think it started with just identifying the problem that I was seeing as I was dancing. And as those people around me who I just described, my friends, my now husband, some members of my family, kind of watching them leave, you know, the bubble of college and where it's really encouraged to be an athlete. Everyone's an athlete, right? Like you were a high school athlete. Now you're in club sports. You're moving all the time. It's a social thing. That's how we connected with each other to the professional world where it's like, you don't have time for that. And if you have time for that, you're not doing you know anything right. And my husband, who, you know, Jeremy, who's yeah. now ironically the CFO of our company. Uh, so, you know, he w- went into investment banking and I describe it as like watching someone's like, you know, soul just be crushed every day. And it really manifested physically too, you know, not being able to move at all and being in this culture and in this environment where it was, so highly frowned upon to like take care of yourself. And I realized most of the world was like that. Most of corporate America was like that. You know, I had friends in law school, I had friends in banking, I had friends in, uh, you know, going to medical school. It just was like, wow. So unless you're an athlete, it's not your job to be healthy. It just felt really alarming to discover as someone who had been, you know, really responsible with taking care of myself to perform at my highest level my entire life. And so that's really where I kind of started to figure out how, how do we change this? Like, how do we meet people in a place where, you know, they can take less time <laughs> to, to do it. Yeah. Um, but we create kind of this culture and this community and environment where um, it's encouraged. And so that's kind of how Lulafit was, was born. And, you know, over the first couple of years of doing that and dancing professionally, I, you know, 
realized that this was really my calling. Like everything I had learned as a ballet dancer kind of led me to this. And this was something that I was even better at. And so I just kind of kept going with it. Yeah. I, if I could, and, take a, a momentary step back. This is a, if you're familiar with Donald Miller, you know, he's wrote, I don't know how many sales books, but this is a big thing he talks about a lot is, you know, people think you have to go to business school to be a business owner. And the harder part is having the skill. It's having the idea. A lot of people can go to business school and come out and be like, okay, technically speaking, I know how to operate logistically a company, but where's my idea coming from? Where's my spark? Where's my service or my product? That probably comes from saturating yourself in something else first anyway. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, his big thing is if you have the skill, the service to provide the idea, you can learn the other stuff. And you can learn and you can outsource. Yes. And, and, and you can outsource. Like yes. don't even, don't even at the beginning, you have to do so many things that you're bad at. Yes. <laughs> I very uh, clearly remember yeah. those days. And luckily I'm, I'm pushing past those moments where now I can, hire someone smarter than me. But I always say like an, a good entrepreneur's job is to get, and this is, I stole this from somebody and I can't remember who, so this is not a direct quote for myself, but get fired from every single job at your company. Yes. That's the key to success, right? Hire people who are better and smarter than you and who specialize in that thing. And in the early days, you can't do that because you're broke and scrappy and you're trying to piece everything together. You learn so much in those moments. And it's really a... a a, t- a testing time, a trying time where you build that resilience, you build that grit. And once you get through that and you're able to then now, you know, start to outsource things and start to hire people and bring on and build your team. That's where, that's why I mentioned the network. To me, my network came into play. I leaned on Jeremy, right? My now husband, I leaned on yeah. my friend, Courtney, who went to Michigan business school as well. Who, you know, they were both very finance oriented. They really helped me like figure out how I was going to turn my idea into a profitable business, right? And and what that looked like in an Excel spreadsheet, which, you know, my entrepreneurial brain just couldn't get there. Um, And so having those people in my network, I think was just really important for my success. And I still believe in that today. I mean, there are just very few things that I'm good at. (laughs) So I think one of the things that I'm good at is, hiring people who are better than me. <laughs> I think that's a really good skill to have as an entrepreneur. Well, it sure is. And, and one, you're being humble because I've, I've got to sit in on, on and talk to you. So I do know exactly how intelligent you are, but you know, I, I guess what we haven't touched on yet is I was lucky enough to spend some direct time with you and Lula fit yeah. where, where, you know, I, I filled in for, for somebody else who was leaving the company, but I came in and did some educational stuff for Lula fit. But I got to sit in a lot of those meetings and I learned a lot from you without even knowing yet that I was, you know, that I was going to use a lot of what I've learned from you. But I saw you, how you utilize the team. You know, I saw how you sat there with a, a spectrum of people, all with different skills. And the way you led meetings was, it was just amazing how it really, it was this circular, you know, form of, um, I guess I'm, I'm missing up the word that I want to use here, but getting everyone's ideas, gathering ideas, like everyone just had a say in everything. I just, I was always very impressed at how you led a group. And I got to see everything you're saying firsthand. You really, you really practice what you preach. You brought in a lot of people that were very good at their job and you allowed them to do their job, their job. <laughs> which I think is a really hard thing for, for people who are thinking I have to control everything who are really just making their lives harder. Right? Yeah. Well, I think I had a huge advantage. I never worked in corporate America or even 
a startup or quite frankly, a normal business. Like I worked in a dance company and dance companies are collaborative by nature. They're scrappy. It's kind of like working at a startup. I mean, you have to do a million things. And if someone can't show up who needs to do that thing, you figure out how to do it and help them and learn. But everyone's got a very specific skill set. And everyone kind of values each other's experiences. And there's a hierarchy and there's politics and drama, of course. Right. Um, But I think, you know, to me, I think there was a huge advantage. I'd never been in an environment where I felt like that didn't exist. And so it just felt natural for me to go in with this idea that I was going to hire adults who were good at a skill set and treat them as such. Right. I didn't sure. ever want to micromanage anyone's time, which is interesting because I'm actually a perfectionist. Um, but I think it's like I knew I could only control and, you know, my own <laughs> my own style. So, yeah, um, there definitely was a, a, a practice in letting go. And I think I embraced that right away, probably because I couldn't a lot as a dancer. So that was a nice shift for me. Sure. I, do you think some of that came from being an athlete? You know, I know as a football player, you have to do your job, but you have to trust that their other 10 guys are doing their job. It is otherwise, if you try to do any more than what you're supposed to do, you, you actually fail. You look worse because you're going to mess up. You're gonna mess up a play. You're gonna mess up the game. You know, I got to imagine, especially in a, in a choreographed setting, everyone's got to do their job. So would you say you gained a lot of trust from being an athlete that carried over to this? Yeah. And I think also like the humility to learn from your peers, which I don't think is something that's bred very well in traditional companies and in corporate America. And I think it's bred really well in athletics. You know, I'm sure you've had similar experiences. Like you look at some of the peers around you who are exceptional, who are at the top of their field and you're like, okay, I want to analyze what they're doing. I want to know what they're like, how are you cross training? Like, how are you thinking about this? Like, how did you push your, how did you overcome this fear? How did, so you're, you're constantly learning from each other. There's no like, you know, person who knows it all. Right. And, and that's very obvious. And so the way that I think teams work together in sports teams and, um, you know, dance companies and theater companies, you know, I think it's just different. And so I, I think that helped with my approach. I also saw based on experiences I was having in my personal life, uh, the dysfunction of some companies that didn't operate like that. And I, I knew that there was a lot of things I didn't know. And I didn't want to come in and pretend I I've always felt that, um, being an empathetic, but also just open and honest leader was like going to be the best style for me. I never wanted to come in and pretend like I knew or could do something that I couldn't do. Sure. I I think, you know, I always tell people like, I would rather scare you (laughs) from taking this job than convince you to do it. Like we do not have everything figured out. We are not perfect. I am not perfect. I make a mistake at least once an hour, but that's okay. And that will be okay for you to do too. We're here to learn and get better. This is not, you're here because you know everything and it's already perfect. And that's the experience I wanted to have. I always tell my employees, I want to build a company I want to work for. Because at the end of the day, I I have to work here too. So that's been very important for me to try to lead, you know, by example and, and, you know, recalibrate. We've definitely got off track from that at times in our growth and it's my job to say, okay, hey, we're we're off course. Like we've got to we've got to course correct and get back to to you know enjoying this. 
Yeah. Well, now you're talking about building a, an atmosphere, but progress isn't linear, right? I mean, that's, that's the thing. Yeah. Like, you know, there's always that step back to the next, not even mistake, just next thing you can learn from. You know, mm-hmm. I, I fully admit that when I, when I first started this, I reached out to a dozen owners of similar businesses. Some I knew personally, some I didn't. The one piece of advice I got from everybody was do not train. Hire good trainers. If you're going to own a business, you have to, you have to put your business owner hat on. You have to be able to step aside from what you've been good at for well over a decade at that point already. And I didn't listen because in my mind, I still, I still had to be the best trainer in the room. And I, if I wasn't out there, you know, and, and I'm will fully admit how much of a mistake that was and how much that set me back from a personal growth and from a business owner growth standpoint and from a company standpoint, because if I would have done it sooner, I would have avoided a lot of the headaches I did. This is okay. It's all a learning experience and, you know, we're better off for it, but you know, I, it's just admirable that you learned some of these lessons earlier. Cause I, I definitely, I definitely made it's difficult. It's mistakes. hard to take something that's like your core identity and yeah. just let it go overnight. And you know, I think that everyone struggles with that, especially when they're going through a career change as you did, as I have. I mean, these are not lessons I just like walked in day one and knew. I mean, these are things I just learned as you did, right? Quickly yeah. off that, like, whoa, this is not going to work. Okay, I need to, <laughs> right. I need to right. back up. Yeah, yeah, no, that's that's awesome. You know, and if we go back to the atmosphere now, you know, it's such a positive atmosphere. Do you see, yeah, I guess from a, maybe a recruiting standpoint too, do you see a bigger referral source? You see people that, that are kind of flushing to come. Cause I know I've heard of many people that want to come now work for Lulafit because they, they know your RD, they know Maggie, they know some of the other employees. Do you feel like the atmosphere has really spread past the point of your office at this point? Yeah. So one of the most important things to me from day one of the business, and we've touched on this a little bit was culture. One, that's what we do as a company. Like one of our core you know, tenants of wellness is to really build a wellness culture for companies and and for, you know, buildings. And to do that without having a strong culture is impossible. And I think it starts with us. So first of all, everything that we do for our customers, we do internally first. Again, is that perfect every single day? Absolutely not. Right? Like, am I supposed to be going to a company Tai Chi class that I'm not, probably not going to make today? Yes. Right. But like, it's, it's, it's the effort of doing it. And so, you know, the atmosphere that you're, you're talking about for me is, is defined by our culture. And I think it's important for a couple of different reasons. One, to go back to, I want to build a company I want to work for. Uh, to me, it's important that we have a, a level of respect for one another. Yes, there is from an org chart perspective, a hierarchy, but everyone's a human. Like I have this really kind of big sticking point of like, no one's time is more valuable than anybody else's. Like I give my employees a lot of time when I can. And there's always this sense of like, Oh, thank you so much for taking the time. I'm like, thank you for taking the time. Like my time is not more valuable than your time. I mean, we're that it's time where that's like one of the most valuable things we have. Right. So we should give it to each other because we care about each other's success. And I think that like respect, right. And just kind of that coming from the top and, and having our leadership um, think and feel that same way has been really important. We're, we've built all this really on core values. And, you know, when we interview people and bring people into the company, we really interview on core values. We, you know, screen on core values. Um, and I think that's helped. And then I think the, the second piece is the policies, like the policies that we've set in place as a company to support what we want that culture to be. Um, and I think 
because of that, it has now extended outside of just me, right? Or just some of my senior leaders and really probably the walls of our, you know, corporate team um, where I do hope that Louisville continues to have a reputation of having an exceptional culture. And to me, it's just such a simple philosophy of just treating people well and with respect. I mean, it's like the easiest thing in my opinion to do. And I can see how it gets, it gets complex as you grow, right? Like not everyone, this is not to say that a good culture means everyone's happy. Those are two different things. That is an impossible quest, right? So, you know, we're trying to focus on what's possible and that's to create a company based on core values who care about each other, who care about our ultimate goal and purpose. And we can be, but we're also human, right? So we also make mistakes and those things are okay. Absolutely. And you're right. It really comes down to just treating each other with respect. If if we're going to oversimplify the strategy here, yeah, (laughs) treat everyone like you want to be treated and treat everyone with respect. And it tends to come back to you. And before you know it, you have a really cool atmosphere that not just employees, you know, I, I, I pride myself on our members, you know, coming in and being a part of that atmosphere, not just experience it, adding to it because now they're supportive of it. Yes. A a, a crucial part, you know, when, when a new member comes into here, it's their other members that are selling this place more than more than the staff can. They know they're going to come in and talk about exercise. They know they're going to come in and talk about weight loss and eating better. That's, that's the bare minimum of what they should get. But when they come in and they see how a session works from another member standpoint, and they hear other, like that's, that's what sells this place. It's my, it's my community, not even more so than, than the staff. How much did the strength that you built? And I don't want to talk on this too much, but help you from a, from a COVID standpoint, because, you know, obviously your, your original, you did a lot of in-person stuff. You're, you're running high rise gyms and I can only imagine because you were much farther along than I was at that point when, when the pandemic hit, just how much of the strength of your staff and that community that you built, how much did it help you in your pivoting and in your, you're getting through of, of this pandemic, which obviously we're not through yet, but yeah. Yeah. Far yeah. From it. So, I mean, early days, like I just would say like the first four weeks of the pandemic, I was just in probably a state of shock. I mean, as I'm sure most of us were, right? Like, Mm so I think one of the things that I really tried to recognize early on was everyone on my team is going through at work, this terrible experience, and also in every single other aspect of their life. So immediately we need to just lead with compassion and understanding. And we had to furlough and lay off like about 75% of our on-site operations team. And it was brutal. I, I've really never experienced such a, I mean, it's, I, I, it's like, I can barely talk about it. It was really yeah. awful. I, I care so deeply about my team and my people that it was like, it was like chopping off limbs, like with every phone call, it was, it was really upsetting and deeply painful in a way that I, I think probably not a, like a lot of large corporations felt. I think it was we're such a close knit group. And it just was like, you know, how do you do this to someone's family? How do you do this? You know, but you're also trying to survive because there's other people's families relying on you to make hard decisions. Right. So that was difficult. Um, and as a, as a family business, that was something that we, that weighed on us really heavily. But I think that my team in return lifted me up 
like, which was, I don't think we would have gotten through it if they wouldn't have been there to like support me as we then had to move forward. And so we did like almost daily, like all team Zoom calls. And we had like 50 of us on a Zoom call like almost every single day. And a lot of it was like trying to pump each other up and inspire each other and put together a plan. Like, how do you go from being primarily a services company? Every No one was going to work and all of our sites were at offices. At so office, it was, right? <laughs> yeah, it was brutal. We had this app that we were building. And so, you know, we really diverted our attention, but we took, you know, I'm sure like, you know, you would have this experience, but like someone who's used to teaching, you know, a fitness class or leading a nutrition session or, you know, an event in person and completely transforming so that they were now doing it all virtually, which is a very different skill set, by the way. Like yes. talking, teaching a class to your iPhone is a very different experience than teaching a class to a room of 20, 30 people. Yes. And, you know, really just trying to help um, support everyone through that, get the logistics of what we needed. It was a crazy time. Um, but I think that because we had such a strong culture and we had this deep care and respect for one another, we were able to get through it. And the other thing we put a huge focus on was like our employees' mental health. So like one of the first things that we did as a business, even though we were actually nervous about surviving, I knew there was no way we could survive unless we helped heal our team. How can they heal the business if they're not whole? And so one of the first things we did was... Um, we paid for, and we still are doing this to this day, two mental health coaching sessions a month for every single one of our employees. Um, And still to this day, we have 87% of our company that does it. So it's become a part of our culture and a part of, you know, it's like everyone's in therapy and it's just great. It's like, (laughs) we all need it. We're like living through the craziest times and we all want to get better at our jobs and our, we want to be better parents. We want to be better, you know, uh, professionally, personally, we want to be a better friend, a better, you know, son, daughter. And so, I just, I will never go back. We'll always keep doing this, but it was such an important step for us. I think to really send the message of like, you don't have to be okay, but we all got to cumulatively come together and figure out how to survive. And, um, you know, and it's, it's, it's not going to be easy, but we did. And we're definitely in a stronger and better place for it. Well, that I did not know. And Colleen, what an amazing thing. I mean, it, Nothing says my company cares about me more than really going specifically at someone's mental health and, you know, providing opportunity for mental health. I mean, that's, uh, it's just, it's amazing. Very, very cool that you do that. Yeah. You know, I just think it just felt like it was where we needed support. I think it still feels that way, honestly, it's still difficult, you know? So, um, I think it was just, you know, sets this tone and sets this environment of, it's okay to not be okay sometimes. And we don't need to hide that from each other. We can, we're human. <laughs> Let's own that. Let's be human. Yes. Um, and great things can come out of that too. And so that was um, definitely a good turning point for us. Yeah, absolutely. No, very, very, very cool. Well, now you're a mom. So, you know, you're, <laughs> you know, you've, you've had to balance so many things already in your life and, and now you add in a, a beautiful daughter to the mix. So, yeah, my first question is, you know, how did your perspective change? And I want to go through a few different categories. You don't have to answer it so generally, but maybe first from, in terms of your health balance, how did, how did perspective change when, when you had your daughter or since then? Yeah. I think one of the big things is I had been going through this transition and anybody who is an athlete 
who now sits at a desk for the majority of their day will probably really resonate with what I'm saying, but there is a transition you go through physically from being at the peak epitome of your athletic ability to, I call like a desk schmuck. <laughs> That's what I call myself. I'm like, I'm a desk schmuck now. Me like too. I go to my chiropractor and I'm like, remember when I used to have like pool injuries and now it's like, <laughs> I think I'm so much. I'm like, I'm so lame. But yeah. it's, it's, you know, it, it is this transition. And so my body was changing so much already that I think there was this moment in early motherhood where I kind of just had to come to the realization of like, we're not going back there. We're not going back to, you know, 25 year old professional ballerina, Colleen, like yeah, that's probably never going back. So what is, what are the things that I want to prioritize? And obviously I've decided to prioritize my business from day one. And I knew that I was going to need a lot of support if I wanted to be a mom. And uh, I'm incredibly fortunate to have, you know, family that is incredible, you know, very supportive. I have a lot of help from my family, which is amazing. Um, but also just making sure that I had good expectations of what that was going to look like. So, you know, movement and exercise is incredibly important for me, but it looks really, really different now than it did a year ago. And that's okay. Sure. And I think I needed to like give myself permission to say like, this is going to look different. The time commitment is going to look different. My number one priority is my daughter and my family. And my number two priority is my business. I'm still a priority. I'm still going to move. I'm still going to take care of myself. I'm still going to eat well. It just isn't going to come before, you know, some of those other things. And so just accepting that I wanted to feel my priority wanted to be feeling good having energy and finding a little bit of balance there for my mental health, as opposed to, you know, you know, some of the, the more athletic achievements that sure. I've focused on previously, right? Like, yes. you know, lifting more weight or mastering certain yoga poses, or do, I've just let some of those go. This is just not the time in my life where I'm focused on that. And so if I get time to do a 20 minute strength workout, that's awesome. Like that's a good accomplishment for me. And if I feel good and I'm in less pain and I'm finding movement in every day, that's what my kind of goal is. So sure. that was a big shift, but I'm, I'm happy that I was able to make it. Um, cause I think it's really helps me like free me from some of the expectations that I had on myself as an athlete. Yes. Well, you're, you're right. It goes from it, from these athletic goals to longevity mm -hmm. goals yes. to, to want to be as healthy as possible to be there for your daughter today and, and X amount of decades. Exactly. And, and, and modeling to her, right. Also that it's important. Yes. I think that I'm a big believer in that. Like I want, I mean, I, my 10 month old is the only kid you will meet who, when she hears this blender going on, she starts clapping and going crazy <laughs> because I've made it a priority that every morning I'm going to put as much nutrients as possible into a smoothie and make a smoothie. And we have a song that we sing and she, like, she thinks it's a completely normal thing. And it's a part of her routine now too. So we yeah. make them together and we do it as a family. And so to me, like modeling those behaviors have been very important too, but it's not about like mom's got to go work out now so that I can like fit into this outfit. Like, yes. I don't want to model that for her. I don't think that's healthy. And I think there will be days and years in my future after I'm done having children <laughs> where I can go <laughs> back to like some of those more physical goals or, you know, yes. um, ability goals, yes. but it's not, it's not this week. Right. And that's okay. 
No. Yeah. And there's a lot of reasons we exercise and, and everyday mood and brain function is, is yeah. a big part of it. And that's, and you know, you're, you're saying it perfectly and I completely agree right now at this point, my goal is the business, but my even the goal of business has even changed where I wanted to be successful partially because my own pride and something I'm going to do because I enjoy it. But now it's equally because the business equals my children's future. Right. My business equals their, hopefully they're at a point where they don't experience the same things I did in terms of debt. And then what comes with that type of life and stress, you know, so the purpose behind everything changed both me being there health wise and why I not just want this business to be successful because I'd figure it out for myself, but I need it to be because it's, it's almost not about me anymore. It is, but not nearly as much as it was at one point. Yeah. Yeah. I I've gone through a really similar experience. Um, mine, you know, obviously a lot of those financial goals are definitely something that have been important to me. I did not mm. grow up with any money. My, my family went through a full bankruptcy when I was 18. So, um, yeah. I'm from, I'm from Detroit. My dad worked, uh, his business served the, the manufacturing industry and, you know, it was a, it was, yeah. that was a rough uh, decade. So, <laughs> um, but also I did not really grow up in an environment, a town or uh, a family where a lot of the women that I knew worked. And so the other thing is like, I want to show my daughter and my future children, whether they're sons or daughters that, you know, you can work and it's, it's not a chore that you can yeah. find something that you're passionate about. I think, you know, I, I kind of always felt like growing up that people who worked, like I felt bad for them. Like they were like, had to show up and do this chore every day. And now experiencing such a fulfilling career. That's such an important part of me. I want my children to see that that's possible. Yes. And it, it's what makes me, me, and it's what helps me contribute to the world and that they can contribute to the world in whichever the way that they choose. Right. Yes. And, and, you know, I think that that is, um, that opportunity I think as I've gotten older and realized there are so many people in the world and in our country who don't have that opportunity, that is privilege. And that is important to recognize and important to, um, you know, understand that, you know, how, how fortunate I am to be able to do that. And my, and my children as well. Yes, absolutely. And, and I love the example you're providing my, my stepdaughter is 11 now and she'll say it all the time. She goes, Oh, you, uh, it's a Sunday. Oh, you have to go in. I'm like, no, I don't have to. I, I want to, I, I get to, to. I, I really, I truly love what I do every day. This is the gym I'm sitting in right now. Doing this with you is, is my home just as much as my home is sometimes more. I think the only thing that makes my house a little more of a home is the fact that my family sleeps, sleeps, sleeps <laughs> yeah. and eats there outside of that. I, this is, you know, and, yeah. and it is funny to think about too. I think about that often about, you know, the, your daughter growing up with a health professional, my kids are running around this gym every day, you know, not every day, two, three days a week this is, they, they don't realize how unnormal this is that they are right, growing right. up playing on weight benches and on turf. And like, and I love it. Cause well, I hope experiencing that exercise is work, but right. it's fun. It's yes. enjoyable. It's right. Yes. So like, I think this whole idea of work as a chore is just really something I'm trying. Do I wake up every single day and bounce out of bed at five in the morning? I'm like, yes, I get to go work every day. Yes. No, but for the most part, I feel incredibly lucky and blessed. Yes. And yes. I want to encourage anybody who has the opportunity, recognizing that not everybody does, right? Which right. is something we should all be collectively working on changing. But if you have the opportunity to do to find something and do something that you're passionate about, 
do it and model that. And and maybe that's not the thing that's going to pay you the most money. This sure hasn't been that thing for me but, or anyone that works with me. <laughs> we all know yeah. like, if you want to make more money, you absolutely have every right to go do that because you can probably make five times more somewhere else. But what we're doing matters and we're making an impact and we're helping people. And it's like, what better work could there possibly be? Yes. Right. And I say that with quotes, right? Like there is no better job in the world. And it's how I view motherhood as well. It's like, yes, yeah, it's hard and it's challenged me in ways that I didn't know, but it is absolutely the most rewarding thing that I've been able to experience. And it just makes everything else I do that much more worth it. Absolutely. <laughs> so. absolutely. Yeah. I, I just want to take a second to point out too, that you don't have to be a fitness professional to be this example that we are talking no. about, you no. know, qu- quite the opposite. If anything, I, I hope that's a motivator I've instilled as at least as a possibility to my members of you're doing this for yourself, but you, you get to be an example for your kids. Most of my population are parents. That's just the population that yeah. uses my facility and, and my services. You can be that example no matter what you do for a living. And you can, you can take pride in your job, even if you're not a business owner and, and learn to really get to do something instead of have to do something every day. So I, I hope that's a takeaway from today for sure. Definitely. Yeah. Well, Colleen, I want to say thank you. This has been awesome. Um, how can people find more about you and LuluFit? Where can they go? So you can find more about LuluFit and probably me, <laughs> <laughs> like on the internet, but uh, yeah. definitely in our website at LuluFit, L-U-L-A-F-I-T.com. Um, and I'm on LinkedIn. Happy to connect uh, with anybody. Drop me a note and say you listen to the podcast. So I don't think you're selling me something. Um, <laughs> but, um, yeah, I absolutely love to connect with um, you know anybody who's interested in a, a network of of well being. And um, I know you have all those those people, Mike. So it's good to have you in mind. And I'm I'm fortunate I was able to to connect with you today and and talk more about both of our crazy journeys to where we are now. Yeah. Well, you know, Colleen, when I first met you, I knew you were someone that I just, I wanted to have from a a professional network. And I knew we'd do a lot of work together in the future. And I I still think that's true. I think there's a lot of things we could still do. So thank you for being the example you were to me, even unknowingly, you know, before I started my business and uh, you're continuing to be just a motivator and example to me. So just thank you. Well, thank you. I'm just, I'm just over here trying to do the best I can, like everybody else. (laughs) And if you're doing that too, you're doing a good job. (laughs) Yes. Well, thank you very much. On everything. I got to get up there and see the, see the facility. I'm excited. Yes. Yes. I know COVID put a long damper on that, but we'll get you out here. Everyone, please check out Lulafit. Their services can cover anyone, whether you're, you're in a corporate business or you're an individual. Colleen and her team do just, just great work. Um, Everything will be in the show notes. So Kelly, stick around for one second. Everyone else, uh, listen in. Don't forget to rate and review the episode and we will see you next week. Thank you for listening to the Lifestyle as Medicine podcast. Find more episodes like this at www.lifestyleasmedicinepodcast.com and visit www.marhealthandperformance.com and at marhealthandperformance on both Facebook and Instagram for more great content and information about programs. Have a great day and see you next time.